All right, good morning, beloved. We're always happy to see uh, new faces uh, with us today. Welcome. Uh, open your Bibles with me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. Um, if you are new with us, we have been going um, verse by verse through this incredible Gospel of John, and, and I hope you have received the joy that I have received preparing through it. My only regrets is I'm unable to share the hours that I put in with all of you when we gather together. So I have to shrink it down. And there's always something later on I feel that as I left out, but as the Lord leads, I allow and, and trust in Him. Chapter 11 we have been dealing with the death of Lazarus and, and really thus far the impact that his death has had on this community. Verses 1 through 16 were sort of a, an introduction to the story. In verse 3 we read, Jesus gets word from Lazarus' sister saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. But when Jesus hears this in verse 4, he says, this sickness is not going to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. We then saw Jesus and his disciples wait two days before going to Lazarus in Bethany, which was about a day's walk away. In the second section, verses 17 through 27, Jesus arrives just outside of the village of Bethany. Uh, we are introduced to one of the sisters named Martha, who promptly runs out and meets the Lord Jesus. And she says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's a very real and, and raw scene of emotion that we see throughout these verses. But Jesus reassures Martha in verse 23, and he says, your brother will rise again. And then last week in the third section, verses 28 through 37, we meet Mary, uh, the other sister of Lazarus, and who was also obviously grief-stricken by the death of her brother. And um, Martha returns to the, the house where Mary is. And she tells Mary secretly, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And last week, we really drilled down and focused on the humanity of Jesus. We witnessed how Jesus himself was also a man of sorrows and was acquainted with grief. He was not a stoic sovereign. No, Jesus lived in our same skin. Jesus walked in our same shoes. He was tempted and tried such as we. And we saw tangible examples of this last week through the very real emotions of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the intimate details which oftentimes are overlooked when going through the Gospels. And I love how we saw Jesus personally reaching out to Mary in private in order to console his close friend. And of course, there was that great scene of Mary who, who gets up quickly and runs out to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, but is so overwhelmed by her grief and, and by the fact that the Lord Jesus had, had finally arrived that she falls at his feet weeping. And as the Lord perceives and sees the, the pain and the effects 
that the wages of sin has put onto his creation. The Bible says Jesus was greatly troubled and Jesus wept. Powerful section of Scripture. And so what's amazing is we've sort of gone through three sections thus far and Lazarus still isn't in his tomb, so today he's finally coming out. So I, I want to begin by reading our verses once through, and then we can uh, look at each of them more closely. So we'll start where we left off last week in verse uh, 38, and uh, we'll cover it to verse 44 today, but for some added context, I, I will read through um, to 46. So John chapter 11, beginning in verse 38, this is the reading of God's holy word. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, as we approach the end of chapter 11, it may seem as though we are still a long way off from the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, his sacrificial death upon the cross doesn't occur until the 19th chapter of John. But in terms of the chronology of John, we're just a couple weeks away at this point. In fact, from this point on, things begin to move rather quickly. And it is the raising of Lazarus from the dead that becomes a key component to all of this. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is the climactic miracle in John's gospel. Every miracle has been leading up to this very point. Its position in the gospel narrative indicates that it is the last of the seven signs in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel of John and is inserted just before the beginning of the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. The length of this narrative and then the details, it's 46 verses 
also reveal its importance. It is the longest and most elaborated described of all the miracles. And the results of this miracle become more significant than any of the other six signs, primarily in the increased determination of the religious leaders to once and for all kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see in next week's verses, it is the raising of Lazarus which becomes the last straw. But most importantly, the spiritual significance of this sign is essential to John's entire theology and the purpose for writing this book. He says in John chapter 20, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus did so many miracles that John calls signs that John says in the last verse of his gospel, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus performed probably thousands of miracles during his earthly ministry, but John, guided by the Holy Spirit, sovereignly selected seven signs, seven, and did so for the specific purpose that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the purpose. And so... With this miracle then, we stand at the Mount Everest of miracles in John. where We have been climbing the mountain of the gospel of John going up higher and higher in the peaks. And we now stand at the, the highest of peaks at the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Now before we start this seventh sign, I want to remind you of the six signs that we have already seen. The first one was all the way back in John chapter 2 when Jesus had turned the water into wine. It is a small miracle as far as miracles go, but it was a sign that pointed to an even greater spiritual truth. When Jesus turned water into wine, it was a picture of transformation, regeneration. It will be no coincidence that in the very next chapter, Jesus will tell Nicodemus that you must be born again. You need a new birth, Nicodemus. <laughs> the, the water into wine pointed to, it was the sign to transformation from death into life. And it reveals Jesus to be the true source of joy and of life in abundance. The second sign we saw in John 4 was the healing of the nobleman's son. And this sign pointed to Jesus having power not only over human sickness, but by extension it was to show us that he has the authority and power over what plagues all mankind, sin. The third sign was the healing of the invalid of 38 years in John chapter 5. Here the sign pointed to the helpless 
spiritual state sin has brought onto all men and women that on our own we cannot make it to the pool to be cleansed. It is only by the power of Christ that we all can be healed. The fourth miracle was the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6 as Jesus reveals that he is the bread of life and that he alone can save and satisfy and sustain. The fifth sign was a little later in John chapter 6 when Jesus walked on the water. Here Jesus showed us his power over his creation itself. The sixth miracle was the healing of the man born blind in John chapter 9. As once again we see a spiritual correlation as the sinner born blind walks in darkness and is in need of the light of the world who was Christ to give us sight in order for us to see. The story is summarized in advance when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In each of these stories, there's a very real and physical miracle that happens. But each of them point to an even greater spiritual truth. The seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus, is of course no different. But we'll just have to wait till the end of the sermon to see what it points to. Because first got to get Lazarus out of this grave. So, let's pick the story back up as we review this, starting in verse 38. I want you to first notice the purpose. The purpose in all this. we got a bunch of P's as we step into the middle of this unfolding narrative. It says there in verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Let's just stop right there for a moment and, and notice what John wants us to know. He tells us again what Jesus experienced, same as back in verse 33, that this was not a mere passing of emotion. It was something that Jesus felt deeply within. And what it expressed earlier in verse 33 was that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, in the depths of him. And we read it here again in verse 38. And the idea is that if anything, these emotions are, are plunging deeper and deeper into the depths and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. This could possibly be in addition to what Jesus has already experienced and observed in the last section of Scripture. We saw both Mary and Martha and those who were there to comfort them. All of them were distraught and weeping over the loss and in their brokenness and and through their tears jesus saw much more than just their emotional sadness he experienced this at a at a cosmic level at a eternal level of pain and and that is the wages of sin and the effects that sin have on the brokenness of man and that that has been brought into his creation last week i mentioned that this word for deeply moved is is just one word in the greek it's a word used to describe the a, a snort from a horse as it gets angry it, it expresses strong indignation here maybe it's being used because of the comments made back in verse 37 but but i think it's kind of the culmination of all of it either way it's noteworthy 
that John adds this as Jesus again is deeply moved. So Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. So as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, for those who had means, uh, they would bury their loved ones in, in caves, in, in tombs. Um, some would be carved out of the limestone, um, usually located right outside the village. This one may have been a, a, a natural cave, um, but this was, this was a common tomb in Israel. Uh, the, the floors would be leveled out. The, the dead body would be rested on a, a carved out slab of stone. Shelves would be cut out into the walls after a certain amount of time. Uh, once the body had decomposed on the slab, um, they would collect the bones and put those into an ossuary, uh, a small chest-like box. And, and then they would place the ossuary into the cutout shelves as you see there in the pictures and and whole families could eventually be rested together in, in a single tomb and we read in verse 38 and a stone laid against it and so it was even with jesus burial correct that this stone was to seal it shut it was to keep the the grave robbers the the thieves out from stealing the valuables that would be sometimes buried with the dead. And of course, you'd seal it to keep the, the stench so wild animals wouldn't get in there and steal the, the corpses. But as Jesus now approaches the cave, he makes this dramatic statement at the beginning of verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. <laughs> now, he's speaking to the, the bystanders, the, the Jews who had followed Mary and Martha to this burial site, and he involves them in this miracle. And is it not interesting that the one who will raise Lazarus from the dead, the one who could have spoken and, and melted the stone by the power of his word, he, he could have pointed his finger and just had the stone roll away. But he says to the bystanders, take away the stone so as to involve them so that there will be no questions, so there will be no misunderstandings in their minds that this will be without a doubt the most incredible thing that they will ever see. And does it not also show us how God uses men to accomplish his ends? There's something for us to do in his ministry. I mean, God could just preach from the heavens and the whole world could hear it, but, but that's not how it works. God uses men and women like you and me to Roll stones away. So that then God can do what only he can, which is to raise spiritually dead hearts back to life. It's really a beautiful parallel with the church. The church of Jesus Christ is a miracle in its own right. Every true church of Jesus Christ is 
supernaturally planted by God himself. Jesus told Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Not my church or your church. This is the Lord's church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, What after all is Apollos? And what of Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one that waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. <laughs> it is God. So it is God who causes the growth, and yet he calls upon us to do what we can do. Some teach the word. Some pray. Some encourage. Some set up chairs and make coffee and grab the donuts. Some greet people as they walk in. All the things that are involved in a worship service, he is calling us to do, to participate in, to be the church of Jesus Christ. But we know ahead of time that we can't do what only God can do, and that is to call the dead to life. That is the effectual call of God and God only. And yet Jesus tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded of you. You know, if talking earlier about preaching through uh, Romans, if you've ever studied uh, Romans, uh, specifically uh, Romans chapter 9, uh, you might be left thinking, you know, what effect can I even have on someone's salvation? God's going to do what God's going to do. And Paul thought that you might be left thinking that. And so he followed Romans 9 immediately with Romans chapter 10. In which Paul asks the question, How will they call on him then in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they haven't heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So be encouraged, Paul says, because in verse 17, because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God calls preachers. God calls missionaries. God calls you and me to be his witnesses in the grocery store, at your work, in line at the bank. And God uses the means to achieve his ends. Amazing. So I cannot help but see the parallel here, the, the parallel really of what takes place in the building of the church as God calls on his people to the, be the means while he himself exclusively does the impossible. Well, now we come to the second section, and I call this the plea. The plea. Beginning in the middle of verse 39, we now see the plea of Martha. Martha, the 
sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. <laughs> now, there's no filter over Martha's mouth, is there? Ever. Now, she says to him, Lord, uh, kurios in the Greek, which means master, Lord, the one possessing supreme authority. Lord, so there is a confession of faith here on her part. But what follows almost betrays her, calling him Lord. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. There will be a stench. We love the old King James. He stinketh by now. <laughs> He's been dead four days. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, by day three, humanly speaking, all hope is gone. <laughs> it's gone. Even by the strangest of Jewish traditions. By the fourth day, everyone knew by now, four days in, the body of Lazarus is stinketh. It's, be, it's begun uh, decomposition. There would have been a foul odor from the decaying body of Lazarus by now. So Martha is now trying to give Jesus insight as if Jesus doesn't know this. And you and I can sometimes find ourselves in Martha's shoes as well, can't we? We too in our prayers might sometimes try to give Lord updates of what's going on in my life as if he doesn't know what's going on already. We might even be tempted to give him the solution to our problems as if he doesn't already have it worked out. And we need to remember that Jesus is just as Martha, Martha addressed. He is the Lord. And because he is Lord, he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is ever-present. He doesn't need our help to figure out what is best for us. We, we, we need to simply believe and present our request to him and, and to appeal to him and, and and god has never made a promise that he is not fulfilled fully jesus told martha earlier your brother is going to rise again and martha now needs to believe it well that leads us right into the third section and the promise and we'll see how jesus will once again really stretch and and strengthen martha's faith in verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha's despair definitely elicited a response from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't going to let that one go. The Lord Jesus is saying, Martha, 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 <laughs> what have I been telling you? Right? I mean, early in this chapter, Jesus has already said, that this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. In verse 23, he tells her personally, your brother will rise again. And in verse 25, he stretched her faith even further as he revealed to her, Martha, I am the resurrection. <laughs> the, the resurrection is a person, not an event. It is me, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha gave that great confession of faith in verse 27 when she said, Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. So once again, we really see here that the compassion and the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ as he now, I'll say, assures her. Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And because she believes, she will see far more than just a physical miracle. 
she will see the glory of God. Let's talk about the glory of God just for a moment. Uh, when thinking heads uh, talk about the glory of God, they talk about it in, in two categories. So don't write these down. You probably won't remember them anyways. But there is the intrinsic glory of God and there's the ascribed glory of God. The intrinsic glory of God simply means the sum and substance of all that he is. It is the attributes that we see in scripture and assign to a holy God. It is his love and his grace and his mercy it is his sovereignty his power his holiness it is truth and all of those come together to comprise the holiness of god and shining forth from the holiness of god is the glory of god that's why we see in isaiah 6 verse 3 the angels who are in heaven right now are crying out Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We cannot give intrinsic glory to God. God is who God is. He is from everlasting to everlasting. You are the God who was and is and is to come. We can only behold the intrinsic glory of God and the more we behold the intrinsic glory of God and all of the greatness and grandeur, the more that we ascribe glory to God. Ascribe glory is our praise and our adoration and the worship that we ascribe to God. That's ascribed glory. But Jesus isn't talking about ascribed glory here. When he says in verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God he is talking about that intrinsic glory of God that God is about to showcase his glory that God is about to put on display before the watching eyes of those who are here they are about to see and witness the person of Jesus Christ and the glory of God in his power in his sovereignty in his great love and mercy for Lazarus God is about to show off him some glory. And those who have eyes of faith will see more of the glory of God than those who are unbelieving. Unbelievers can see attributes of God in creation. But we see more than just sunsets. We see more than mountains. We see more than just nature and creation. We see the greatness of God on display everywhere where he's at work. And because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus is saying to Martha. Did I not tell you if you believe that you would see the glory of God? So I ask you today, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, you have eyes to see the glory of God. The glory of God in his word. The glory of God in his creation. The glory of God in his providence. The glory of God even in the midst of our struggles. That the unbelieving world cannot see. Well, this leads us now to number four in the prayer. In verse 41 and 42... 
Jesus will now acknowledge that he is about to do, what he is about to do is an answer to his already prayed prayer. So in verse 41, we read, So they took away the stone. And by the way, this is a dramatic moment. Even at just this point, as they have now rolled away the stone, and no doubt everyone standing there is wondering, what is going to happen next? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, Father, a, a, a tender term of endearment for the first person of the Trinity, the heavenly Father, the one of whom Jesus had humbled himself to, the will of his Father's will, the one who has sent him into this world. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And that indicates that Jesus has already prayed. Jesus has already prayed for the raising of Lazarus from the dead, that, that Jesus will perform this miracle by the power of the Holy Spirit as he now humbles himself unto the Father. Verse 42, I knew. Notice past tense, I knew. Pointing back to when he had already prayed. I knew that you always hear me. And to be heard is to know that his prayer will be answered. His prayers were always answered. And why were Jesus' prayers always answered? Because he prayed for the glory of God. He prayed for the glory of the Father. Of course, he was the, the sinless Son of God, and, and he could only offer up perfect prayers. But at the, at the, at the tip of the spear... At, at the tip of the, the apex of all perfect prayers of the Lord Jesus was that the Father would be glorified. And if you want your prayers to be answered, and if I want my prayers to be answered, we must pray for those things that promote the glory of the Father. Jesus will tell his disciples in John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Really? Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Remember, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says in verse 42, I knew that you always hear me. But then he includes this in the prayer. But he said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And I've been a part of some prayers before when we're together and the person who, who is praying to God is, is also preaching to me. They're also ministering to me in, in the prayer. And Jesus here is doing much of the same. As the prayer was not to benefit himself, but so the people standing there would believe the Lord Jesus Christ has been sent by the Father. So this now leads us to verse 43. And we're going to see the power. 
we're going to see the power. The full uh, glory of God um, on, to be put on display. The time has now come. Uh, the moment has arrived. Verse 43, when he had said these things, referring to his prayer to the Father, he cried out. The verb cried out means literally he shouted, he yelled, he cried out, he cried out with a loud voice. The, the, the word loud is, is megas, is where we get a, a mega, megaphone. He cried out like as with a megaphone. Lazarus, come out! And Jesus, with a commanding authority over the grave and over death, calls Lazarus to do the very thing that Lazarus cannot do. Dead men can't come out. Dead men don't come out. But with God, anything is possible. And what happens next is the answer to the son's prayer that he prayed earlier. Verse 44. The man who had died came out. He, he comes out of the tomb. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. Lazarus had been laying dead on this slab four days. Lazarus is raised to life. I mean, his heart begins to beat again. The blood starts pumping through his veins. His eyes open up. His arms move. His legs stretch out. Jesus calls back the soul of Lazarus that was in heaven. He was brought out of heaven and back down to earth in his old body. <laughs> he gets up off that hard, cold slab of stone and comes out of the tomb <laughs> before the startled eyes of everyone there that day. Hundreds of people would have been there mourning with Mary and Martha. I tell you, if you could have seen one miracle that Jesus performed, this would have been the one. <laughs> oh, man. The, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. He's still walking in his grave clothes. His body has been loosely wrapped which would allow him to come out probably shuffling <laughs> rattling right sister the dead bones rattling he's probably coming out in a rattle and it says his face was wrapped with a cloth and jesus said to the men who had rolled the stone away unbind him and let him go <laughs> what kind of power can do this <laughs> it is only the power of God. What a Savior. What a God. So what is the message in this miracle, or, or, does, or does this sign point to something? The miracle is extraordinary. But I believe it points to a number of greater spiritual truths than the physical miracle itself i see a few things that we will close with number one 
this sign tells us about our spiritual condition. I want you to see yourself in Lazarus for a moment. Before he came to faith in Christ and before Lazarus was raised from the dead, even so, every one of us, before our conversion, we were spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, We are dead in our transgressions. Now let me just flush this out for a moment. I don't want us just to blow by that. Uh, being spiritually dead means we were utterly and totally and completely unable to save ourselves. We were born, as I like to say, D-O-A, dead on arrival. We were unable to see the truth because dead man can't see. We were unable to hear the truth because dead men can't hear. On our own, we were unable to do anything to make ourselves right with a holy and righteous God. So what can a dead man do to contribute in some way to their salvation? Nothing. Let me ask you this. What did Lazarus do to contribute being raised from death to life? Nothing. So number one, we see a picture here of our spiritual condition in the story. Number two, this miracle, or as John likes to call it, a sign, tells us something about the effectual call of God to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus called Lazarus from the dead, even so, God calls sinners to himself. And no one comes to faith until the Father calls him. And all that the Father calls will come to him. Jesus said it this way in John 6, verse 44. No one, who's no one? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 37, Jesus said, and all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus called Lazarus by name. Lazarus, come out. And I think it was Augustine, I'm not sure, many, many years ago, it was someone who said, if Jesus had only said, come out, and hadn't said the name Lazarus, the whole graveyard would have emptied and come out. <laughs> But Jesus calls his sheep by name, does he not? In John 10, verse 3, the, the good Lord or the good shepherd says the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And, and there was a moment in time when we were still dead in our trespasses and sin. When the effectual God, call of God came out. And he called you out of the darkness, out of the grave. When suddenly he, he gave you ears to hear. And he gave you eyes to see. And he called you into faith, into the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and when that call came, he brought you to himself. Because he called you. 
You did not call yourself. <laughs> the Bible says we are all like sheep and have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. Romans chapter 3 says there is no one who seeks after God. All have turned away. It was God, you see, who came seeking after you. And he called you powerfully to himself. So this miracle teaches us about the, the effectual call of God as we see the power in the Lord's voice when he, when he calls his sheep to himself and, and can overcome any resistance. And we witnessed this, didn't we, in, in, in Brother Tom Boyle's conversion, did we not? He came forward that Sunday and he said, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> the effectual call. He is mightier than any resistance that we could put up. And in that moment and on that day, the voice of God conquered your dead soul. Third, this sign tells us something about the new birth. The new birth as, as God raised Lazarus from the dead in order for him to, to come to Jesus. Even so, God raised each of us to believe. You see, it's not enough just to be called. God, God must yet still do a work. We see this in Ezekiel, the great chapters of Ezekiel 36 and 37. But in 36, he's talking about that, that God must take out that, that heart of stone and give you a new heart of flesh. There must be a spiritual resurrection. And God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. The cold, dead soul must be raised to life before the sinner can come to faith in Christ. Dead men don't believe. Dead men don't come to Christ. They have no spiritual capacity on their own to respond to the gospel. So not only does God issue the call, but in the same split second, God raises the dead and gives us the faith to believe. Now, if you've been with us, uh, through this study of John, Jesus has already taught this. Back in, in John chapter uh, 5, verse 25, an absolutely amazing verse, and so important that Jesus begins it now with the, the often repeated, truly, truly. And, and that is to flag our attention that, that this is of the utmost importance. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The new birth is pictured here as the dead man, Lazarus, was raised to life. The new birth is, is, a, is a spiritual resurrection by which we are raised from the dead and are made alive in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, saying, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This miracle is your spiritual autobiography. <laughs> This miracle is you looking in the mirror and seeing your own regenerated new birth. 
God said to you, take off those grave clothes and come out of that grave. And if you believe, you will have eyes to see this. And you will see the glory of God put on display in your life, in your soul, as God has showcased his power by the grace through you. There's much more we could go on here, but we'll close with with a, a fourth thought as this miracle also says something about our future. As Lazarus was raised from death to life, even so this will happen to you and to me. Whenever it may be that we breathe our our last breath, our soul will, will go immediately to the presence of God. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And whenever that day comes, our bodies will be laid somewhere in some grave, maybe spread out over your favorite little sea or lake or wherever people like to spread things. Last year, about this time, I I attended an old friend, a very old friend uh, of mine's funeral. And as I stood at his gravesite, people huddled around, knowing that he was at home at that very moment with the Lord, we all watched as they, they lowered the, the casket down, and his, his wife, of course, was heartbroken, and, and got many boys, and, and they were all throwing flowers on, on, onto the casket as the casket was being lowered deeper and deeper into the ground, and, and when it was my turn to speak, they, they had asked me if I would speak, I, I said, this grave will be, will be covered as we leave today, um, but I want you all to know something. One day, it's going to be opened back up. <laughs> it's going to be opened back up. At the end of it, the age, this body will be raised. Okay? This corruptible will put on the incorruptible. Uh, this perishable will put on imperishable. And because of that truth, we can sing today, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because as First Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wherever the the body of the believer is buried or or spread, it will be raised and there will be a a reuniting with our spirit and, and with our body. And we will be raised into glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, beloved, comfort one another with these words. Not only has God saved your soul, but the day is coming where God is going to save your body as well. God wants it all. Body, soul, and spirit, it it all be redeemed. God will have the last word. He will have the final word. And and so this seventh great sign, the the raising of Lazarus is almost like looking through through a keyhole uh, into the future. uh, To see the, the greater resurrection that will come as as Jesus himself will give a shout from heaven. Uh, Nick, come forth. 
Uh, Katie, come forth. Don, come forth. Tom, come forth. Sheila, come forth. And bodies will be immediately raised up from the dead. Jesus said in John 5, verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, that, that, that's not saying our good deeds merit our salvation. That, that is simply saying every true believer will perform good deeds and will be raised to the resurrection of life. So, I close this morning with a very simple question. Has this Jesus called you out of the tomb of your spiritual death? <laughs> Have you been raised from the grave of sin? Are you a, a, a trophy of God's grace? A miracle of God's divine intervention? Has he called you out of the grave? Has he given you eternal life? If not, I call on you to believe not in my words, but in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe, you shall be saved. I myself am nothing but a sign, a sinner saved by grace by the Lord Jesus Christ. I will preach Christ and Christ crucified. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I point you to the one who alone can, can take that life of yours and make it new. It is the Lord Jesus who alone can stand before the dead soul and raise that life from the grave. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He offers himself to you today. If you need prayers this morning or would like to meet with one of the leaders, uh, they'll be down front. We'd be happy to meet or to pray with you. Please stand as we sing the song of invitation, Glorious Day.